Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We talked about the Rebels surviving at Auburn 28-21. Jackson Dart's second half, the resiliency of the team, a strong defensive performance against a bad offense, and Ole Miss being set up prime to enter the month of November as a one-loss team with all of its aspirations still in front of it. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by C Spire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. C Spire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Ceasefire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Ceasefire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to ceasefire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're a Skybox member, you went 11 and 4 on NFL picks over the weekend, plus 8.5 units. Some of you out there who didn't use Skybox probably hurting in the wallet, probably hurting in the old Venmo account, having to pay the man. You should sign up to Skybox Sports Picks today. Go online, find a picks package within your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try NFL. You can try college. You can try all the sports. I recommend going with a year-long all-access pass because you will make every year a profitable one with Skybox. You don't want to lose money this football season. Maybe we're a month and a half into this. Maybe you're already in a little bit of a hole. Use Skybox to help you pull out of it. They are the professionals. They're Picks are based on data and modeling, not leans five minutes before kickoff. They'll send you picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. Ole Miss survives the Plains 28-21. This game had pretty much everything we thought it might, right? Like Auburn didn't really have enough offense to stay in the game. I mean, they were in the game for most of the game, but to keep up with Ole Miss, we talked about, you know, if Ole Miss scores 25 points or more, they're probably going to win and win with ease. You know, whatever depends on what your definition of ease is. But hey, they were up two scores in the fourth quarter and kind of had to do one of those garbage time possessions. It featured a Zakari Franklin presence, which we thought might be the case. Uh, Jordan Watkins actually played that a dude with a broken hand returning punts. This was just a crazy ass game (laughs) that Ole Miss survived. And uh, I I don't even really know a better way to encapsulate it. It literally just had everything you thought might appear in it. The Auburn Jordan hair, Auburn Jesus, you know, bullshit was flowing very early and often this game, uh, which was to be expected. You know, they, we talked about how no matter how bad this Auburn team was, going over there, playing at night is always difficult. And Lane clearly stressed that to his team as much as he could. He talked about it 
every opportunity given. And for as bad of a first half as Ole Miss played, they never really felt like they were out of control in the game. Um, even though just me having seen stories like that before, I was getting incredibly nervous. But they are not. And I think Jeffrey mentioned this in the post game show that like these kids are not the Ole Miss fan base. Like in these situations, these guys are coming from all over and wherever. They just don't think of it like the past Ole Miss fans might when you're on the road at Auburn. They don't just don't care. And they've proven that multiple times throughout this season that they just are a better fourth quarter team than most other teams that they play. And I thought that was a really interesting point. And I hadn't really thought about the the psychology of this team compared to its fan base, which in most sports really doesn't matter. But we've seen time and time again, there's these weird things, you know, throughout all of sports that just kind of, you know, history repeats itself. And that did not happen on Saturday. They uh, played a pretty flawless second half. Uh, I mean, a few things here and there, of course. But uh, they got out of there with a win. They covered, shockingly enough. Uh, I mean, it's a hard place to play. They went out there. They did their job. You know, it was a, I think Chase said a root canal game, and that was a perfect <laughs> encapsulation of what it felt like. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was a pretty relatively comfortable win. Yeah, and it couldn't have started out better for Ole Miss, right? Auburn takes the ball, to gets, uh, gets the ball first. They get a first down or two, and then Freeze gets bold and tries to go for it on a fourth and short, and they don't get it. I was kind of baffled by that decision, given what Auburn's offense had been up uh, to that point in that year. And then Ole Miss gets the ball in a short field, and they score immediately. And you're like, all right, they're off and running. And then they bring in the other quarterback that's not. They started Ashford in this game, I should mention, and then they bring in Thorne, and it's like, okay, now they got the kid that can't really run. And then Ole Miss allows a busted run fit. And Jarquez Hunter, I think it was, runs 50-something yep. yards for a touchdown. And then it's like, okay, Ole Miss responds immediately with another six-place, 75-yard drive. And then the game kind of becomes a slog again, a turnover on downs. Uh, no, excuse me, that was the interception uh, that Dart sailed to throw on. Auburn ties it up after having a short field. And then that was at the point of the game where it kind of got to the middle part of the game. It's like, is this actually going to get weird? Like, what's about to happen here? And I think it deserved – the defense deserves credit. They stayed the course, right? They had an early bust. They give up the touchdown on the short field. I don't know you can really blame them for that. But sure. after that, they allowed drives of 6-3-0, negative 1-9-6-7 over the next seven possessions of the game. And that really prevented – any sort of major worry about is this game going to get strange uh, for Ole Miss? And I thought the defense really kind of bided, allowed the offense to bide their time to settle in the game because the offense had some weak points in there too. No, definitely did. It, it was similar to what we've seen, you know, in a few games, whether it was Tulane or Georgia Tech or Arkansas, where when the offense kind of gets a little sluggish, they don't get that first down, a few three and outs. The defense always steps up. Uh, now, you have to account for the opponent in this game, which, I mean, Auburn is absolutely terrible on offense. We knew that going in, but still, it's on the road. You knew there was going to be trick plays here or there, um, and nothing really phased this team. And especially difficult whenever you really had a chance to probably put your you know foot on their throat a little bit there, up 14-7, and dart through a, a, a really bad pass. The guy was I – mean, Franklin was wide open. He throws it behind him, and it's picked – uh, you're probably getting points there. I mean, you're going to be over the 50, and they they were definitely going to at least attempt to get points there. Uh, and they didn't. So that's, like you said, when it started to get a little squirrely, and you're like, okay, here we go on the road, Auburn. But the defense never even gave them an opportunity or a shot to feel like they had a chance to to score any more points once they got the two short field uh, touchdowns. Or I guess the explosive play touchdown and then the interception touchdown. They were just – 
I mean, they're obviously not perfect, but they were just stout. They were always in position. They uh, had a really good plan for what Astrid was going to do and what Thorne was going to do. They didn't change up everything, but they changed up just enough to kind of put them out of rhythm. Uh, I think this was the best linebacker game that Ole Miss has played this season. I thought Perkins, uh, Kari Coleman, and John Baptiste were all fantastic, especially John Baptiste. I know we texted about this on Saturday, but he looked as fast and his, I mean, his instincts were incredible. He saw plays early. He had multiple tackles for a loss. I mean, he was great. Uh, and then the defensive line owned their offensive line, which is uh, something that we've seen, especially in like, you know, guaranteed pass downs. They've been really good rushing the passer. Um, it's hard to complain about anything they did on that side of the ball uh, at all in this game. Yeah, I, I I certainly agree with that. And, you know, it's it's interesting with this defense, right? They'll have a busted coverage or they'll allow a big play on a running play. And a lot of times it goes for a touchdown, kind of like you saw early with the one with Hunter. But then they really settle in and they don't allow that to compound and they don't allow it to yeah. phase them. And while it doesn't really look dominating at times, this is like three, four weeks in a row where I've looked at the postgame notes and there's some kind of note back to like the 2014 or 2015 era. Uh, the one that stuck out this week was Ole Miss allowed just 275 yards of offense to Auburn. And with 270, 280-something to Arkansas last week, it was the first time they had held back-to-back -back opponents under 300 yards of offense since 2009, I think. Yeah, 2009, wow. which was actually Lane Kiffin, Tennessee, and then LSU the next week, 290. Again, they're not always perfect and dominating, but – as we get six, seven games into this season now, what you thought might be a real question mark and you thought going into the year Ole Miss might have to outscore teams because of the secondary and so many new pieces, they formulated depth and they found some athleticism on the back end. And I think for what they were working with roster-wise going into the season, this has turned out about as good as you could have possibly hoped for, you know, aside the LSU game. But in fairness, they've done that to everybody, like Kiffin always says. I mean, and Kiffin brings it up every single time he can, which I think is important to note because you have to account for what's on the other side of the field, of course. I mean, we saw Arkansas put up uh, a total of three points at home against Mississippi State. They have been pretty anemic offensively. They just fired their coordinator earlier today. And then, you know, Auburn has been absolutely terrible in offense. You know, Tulane is pretty good, but it's a backup quarterback. That, all that, you know, is has to be – put into context, of course, what this defense is. But in those games, they've really dictated terms when they needed to, which is important. Uh, the only game they didn't was against LSU. And like Lane has said, and like I've said, and like anybody will say, that's just an elite offense. And, you know, at the end of the day, you had to make just one or two important plays in that game, and you did. And that's why you won. Uh, but against, you know, teams where they have had the upper hand on defense, they've shown it. And they've put gone out there and played like it which is not something we've seen from Ole Miss, you know, consistently, at least in a pretty long time. So they get a lot of credit for that. And they've been really, really good. They've been multiple. They've done it in different ways. They've taken the ball away. Uh, they've just been exactly what you wanted them to be. They don't have to be the dominant side of the ball, but they just need to be really, really good when it's needed throughout these games. That's exactly what they've been, and that's exactly what they were once again on Saturday night. What did you make? I haven't, I had not watched a ton of Auburn this year. Um, I watched a, a decent bit. Actually, the game I watched the in, entirety was that Cal game, which was one of the worst football well, games. I mean, that was awful. Oh, it was brutal. That was one of the worst games I've watched in a while, but I haven't watched a ton of their offense this year. What did you make with the decision to start Ashford? And it felt like, I don't know the exact snap counts and what that's been throughout the year, but just what did you make of the fact that they went with Ashford first and seemingly did much more of a rotation than they had beforehand? Because at least early in the year, it was a lot more thorn 
Um, right. And then a little bit of Astrid sprinkled in where this felt more equal. Uh, Hugh Freeze made it very clear to the TV broadcast that the place at Ashford <laughs> was in the game for it. He was calling those. I don't know if that was some kind of subtle message or why oh, he wanted to get that works. across so badly, but damn, he really <laughs> wanted that out there. What did you make of their offensive strategy and attack? It felt like to me, I guess, to answer my own question for you do is just like, sure. it felt like, He's just grasping at straws. He's trying whatever. He's Got trying to get the more mobile kid in there doing whatever they can, but they just don't have the pieces to do it. Um, they It felt like they actually rotated quarterbacks in this game even more than they had in really any game previously. Uh, like you said, they've started out with Thorne first usually, and then you'd get the Ashford packages here and there, but sometimes you just go in for a play. Uh, this was like series at a time, back and forth, third down, obvious passing situations, thorns going in. It felt like an actual um, platoon. Like yeah, yeah like a, a legitimate platoon, and it didn't work uh, at all. It was it was terrible, and they've been terrible for the entire season on that side of the ball. You just feel like you should have to go with one, and if you don't go with one, maybe give twenty seven the ball more, <laughs> give Hunter the ball because that's the only thing that's been working for this team. The entire year, and they just kind of refuse to do it. Uh, they think the quarterbacks are the best athletes in their team, and actually it's that running back. He's a really good player, and they don't give him the ball near enough. Um, wide receiver-wise, they have nobody that scares you at all. Uh, they have two pretty big tight ends, but they're not exactly you know, game-breakers by any means. Uh, they have an okay offensive line, but not great. They just have no pieces on that side of the ball. And – in most seasons, in most years, you kind of give Auburn a break for that because, look, it's it's year one or people like to call it year zero or whatever. Um, you don't really get that anymore with the transfer portal. They had ample, ample opportunities to go out and get a quarterback that was worth the shit to come in and play for this team, and they didn't do it. I think they went for Grayson McCall, and they had some sort of administrative issue. But, I mean, there was more guys out there absolutely more guys out there that could have been the case. I mean, Spencer Sanders, of course, I don't know what that deal was, um, but he didn't do it and they didn't do it. And they've been absolutely anemic on offense. And that's his job, uh, whether he likes to admit it, depending on the success of the game, uh, he's this offensive guru. And, you know, it's pretty much every single position group on that side of the ball, uh, with the exception of Jarquez Hunter is really, really poor. And that's on him to be honest. And that's completely on him. Uh, and they've got a lot of work to do to fix it because, I mean, I don't really see where they're going with this going into next year. They're going to have to get a portal kid. I know they have a really good player uh, quarterback out of Arkansas committed, but I mean, it, it looks pretty shitty right now. And I am honestly pretty surprised that it's this bad. Yeah, I, I agree with you, too, on, on that part of it. And I thought more and more that after watching, of course, an entire Auburn game last night, and I saw I looked at Auburn's rivals board a couple of times throughout the week, and there was impatience about Hugh and everything you just described offensively. And you're right with the portal, like you don't really get a year zero anymore. Like you can get pieces in there to be to be competent, right? Like if they were if they were losing games and they lost a bunch of close games, you're scoring 25 points a game or whatever, and it's just not really working out, and you don't have the quite the depth or the pieces to finish SEC games. That's one thing. But like you said, when you're an offensive guy and you're that inept offensively. I think the impatience is is warranted. Uh, you know, they didn't really go get a quarterback. I mean, I, I guess they got one in Thorn. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> clearly doesn't because he's not good. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think he was their first option by any stretch. I'll 
I guess we'll just get right to this. I, someone mentioned this to me yesterday. Do you buy into the conspiracy theory that Ole Miss got Spencer Sanders so Auburn couldn't? I'm mostly joking, but given what I've understood Ole Miss to be paying Spencer Sanders, but do you buy into that uh, that no, tinfoil hat theory at all? I don't buy into it. I, I think either. it's funny, and I would like for that to be true, and I would love for him to come out after the season and say that out loud, which he obviously never will. Um, no, I, I don't buy that for a second. And I mean, that situation still to this day makes no sense. Um, except for, I guess it's just a really expensive insurance policy, which is fine because I mean, you've seen teams around the country have quarterbacks go down weekly. Um, and you know, they have one and possibly even two that they're pretty confident with. Uh, but Auburn's a lot to figure out because even defensively they're, there's good in spots. They have some pretty good DBs. I mean, the Ole Miss wide receivers did not get a whole lot of separation throughout that game, um, especially in kind of those short area, you know, when they did the mesh and kind of the man-on-man stuff. They were they were pretty good. And then they have an okay defensive line that can be aggressive, but they're not – they're just not really good at anything. Um, and you just don't have those excuses anymore with your ability to turn over these rosters these days. So they've got a lot of work cut out for them, and I just don't think – that he is the guy that's going to go through all the effort to do it. I know they had a ton of guys. They have a really good recruiting class coming in, but they haven't signed any of those guys yet. Um, so there's there's just a lot of work over there, just way more work than you would think um, Good for a program like that with talent they should have. I understand Harson was terrible. They didn't recruit well, but it's it's looking really, really rough. Yeah, it really is. And one thing I thought was encouraging from the Ole Miss side of it, they had 92 rushing yards in the first quarter. And really for the first time that I can remember this year, I described it, I think, on the postgame show last night as like 2021-esque, where they were felt very confident running the football on the edges, particularly with Judkins, that when they got backed up in like third and long situations – and they didn't really, but they weren't bashful at all about like, hey, we can run the ball and pick up most of this back, or in some cases, all of it. I remember two runs specifically by Ely in the LSU game in 21. Yeah, Ole Miss was absolutely. like way back there was up. like third and 20 and third 19. Yeah, and, and I think they converted both and one of them went for a touchdown. They did that twice early on in this game. Judkins, they had like third and 23 or something. Judkins picked up like 22 and a half of it. They get up there to the line of scrimmage and they, uh, I think they got like nine yards on the fourth down conversion. It kind of stalled out in the middle portion of the game, but they had a lot of success and looked very explosive running the ball with Judkins um, really for any extended period of time for the first time in quite a few weeks, which I thought was an encouraging sign against a pretty good run defense for Auburn. Yeah, they are a pretty good run defense. Um, I thought this was Judkins' best game of the season uh, by far. I thought his vision was better than it's been for the entire year. Uh, he didn't just run, you know, if the hole wasn't there, he'd bounce it, which is something we haven't really seen him do too much this year. Uh, maybe that was a scheme thing where they were actually they were trying to bounce it the whole time. I have no idea, but he just looked more explosive. His cuts were incredible. Uh, his vision to see where he needed to go was the best it's been um, the whole entire year. He looked maybe he just needed a week off. He looked healthier. Um, he was running over his pads. He was running with balance, with contact balance. It was just really, really good. Bentley was a good compliment. And I thought they gave really, I mean, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't a 50 50 split, but it felt like it was the closest it's been this entire year with those two, which I think is good. I think Bentley deserves that. They bring two different uh, aspects to the game with Bentley being able to catch the ball, which he did a few times and almost brought in that wheel route, which was just an incredible play by him, despite 
accidentally stepping out of bounds. Just really, really impressive. I thought the run game was really good. And of course, the offensive line gets credit for that because you don't, you know, break those yards on those third downs if you don't get the right guys blocked. You know, I know they may be in a pass defense dropping eight for those situations, but you still have to get the upfield to those linebackers and give Judkins and Bentley a chance. And they absolutely did. Uh, less holding penalties. Uh, I thought that was really good. The one holding call they had on that first drive on McGee was was total nonsense. I was absolutely. I didn't see that one at all call. either. We were terrible, terrible, like, terrible call. In a overall pretty well officiated game, um, they had two calls in those first drives. One the, that holding call, and then the pass interference on Auburn against Franklin was terrible. It was just a complete and total makeup call after the holding. But uh, besides that, it was fine. But the offensive line was really good. I mean, they jumped a few times because it's loud and they got a little rattled. It happens. It's no big deal. And it didn't feel like they stalled drives as much as they have. You know, of course, they were a little mushy in the begin- in the middle kind of eight, ten minutes of that game. But they just were kind of kept on. I thought Dart, they did a good job protecting Dart. Dart made plays when he needed to. Uh, just they're efficient on offense. You know, they may not be as explosive as they've been in the past. But kind of when they need it, they kind of get it. Um, and with the exception of a few missed throws by Dart, they were pretty darn good in most phases. And Dart, I thought, overcame a pretty poor first half for the most part. I know you were you texting me around halftime wondering if he was injured. He wasn't really moving around great. He missed a couple of throws. Uh, the two that stick out the most were the early interception where he misses the wide open Franklin running deep across the left side. And then yeah. early in the third quarter, he misplaced the ball to Bentley to where if he'd have put it where he could have caught it in bounds, I think that would have been a catch. He certainly had him open. But after that, for the last you know 25 minutes of the game, I thought he played one of his best halves of the year. Um, you know, they hadn't done anything offensively in quite a while. I think they went seven drives or so without really mustering anything at all. Um, and then all of a sudden they orchestrate what was apparently their longest touchdown drive of the season, an eight play 90 yard drive. He makes three deep completions to Trey Harris. Uh, I don't think they were consecutively, but for him, three consecutive completions that really powered the entire drive. Ole Miss goes up seven, and I think anyone watching the game from an Ole Miss perspective likely felt pretty damn good about where Ole Miss stood when they score right there on the last play of the third quarter, backed up from their own 10, take it all the way down the field. That really felt like them taking control of the game. They get a stop after that and respond with another extended and long drive. And really, I mean, I think you said this is where you go finish them off, cut the head off, whatever the phrase may be, and they did exactly that. So after really lowly – Lulling and Dart not playing well for the early portion of the game, they rebounded in the second half as they've done so many times this year. Definitely. I mean, the first those two passes to Trey Harris were were awesome. The, the first one where he looks off the safety to the left, comes right back. I mean, completely in rhythm as he turns his head, rips, rips it to Harris on that dig route. Then Harris moves into the slot, finds him on kind of like a seam route. And then you're just kind of going. I mean, this offense, when they get that first first down, is just a completely different team. Uh, and that showed this game, especially in the second half when they were actually able to get a little bit more movement on those first downs. Um, and then that drive, that drive I was texting you, like, this is the drive where you go step on their throat. This is the send them home drive. Because once you go up two scores, which they were not able to do early when dart through that interception, Auburn is just going to be playing from behind, and that's just not what they're meant to do. And we kind of they kind of couldn't get to that point in this game. Uh, and that drive they did. And, I mean, that was basically a salt them out – that's the game drive. And they and against Arkansas last week, they they could not do it, 
remember they had it on the you know first and goal or whatever from like the three yard line. They could not get a touchdown there, uh, and then it gave Arkansas the ball back to potentially tie the game. It's just growth. It's just adding on different things to this team and their resiliency to be able to go down there on the road and kind of basically just in the game right there. That's the kind of things we've wanted to see from this team. They've had opportunities to do it. And tonight or last night, they took advantage of it. Finally. What did you make of Kiffin mentioned? um, I think either I think he got interviewed after the third quarter and he mentioned the fireworks show or whatever it is. Auburn does after three quarters. And then he mentioned in his post game, and this may be completely nothing, but he said to go in down there and score and to take the lead before they do the show after the third quarter and get the crowd hyped up and back into it. I thought it was interesting. He mentioned that twice. And if you'll remember, if I believe I have this right, I went back and looked at it again this morning. They didn't have to snap that ball before the end of the third quarter down there near the goal line, but they went ahead and did it and scored. Would you buy any stock into that being intentional and then getting on the scoreboard before you kind of have the pause before the end of the third quarter? Whether it was or wasn't, I think it was really important. Um, I think it helps a lot. Yeah, I think it helped a ton. Um, they've not been fantastic in that scenario this year. And to be able to get that touchdown in before, you know, the hyped up fourth quarter, whenever you're on the road in the SEC, you know that that's like the big show. And he talked about like just being up going into the fourth quarter with that show and like kind of having the pressure on them kind of takes a little bit of the juice out of the entire stadium that had quite a bit of it throughout that game. So I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of wanted to catch them off guard a little bit, assuming they were going to go into the fourth quarter. They just punch it on in. Uh, It was very, very important, in my opinion, to be up in that game in the fourth quarter and kind of have the pressure on a really, really poor offense. Yeah, and it may it's not it may not even be the 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 crowd thing. It may just be giving Auburn a long break to kind of catch its breath and 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 muster a goal line right. stop. Right. Who knows which one it was? Um, I thought they fared decently well uh, receiver wise without Jordan Watkins. He didn't really play very many significant snaps as a receiver in this game. He did play some significant snaps as a special teams uh, punt returner. But I he said clearly, it. I brought it up that I mean that's a huge deal. Oh, a huge deal. I, uh, that's not used to being back there. I mean, Dayton made a pretty decent return on his first one with the second one. He muffed it. And, I mean, that's just different being on the road, being back there, catching punts. It's a lot of pressure. It's not an easy job. And having a guy like Watkins, who's as sure-handed as he is, even with a freaking broken hand, uh, is incredibly impressive. I know we, we talked a little bit of smack about him obviously not playing. And, I mean, he he did play. Which he dressed and played. That counts. I, I didn't that think counts. he would be available at all. No, I did not think he would either. And, I mean, he really wasn't. I think he played maybe a few series, but like, was not targeted. Like, I mean, he was out there, but the, the catching punts was incredibly crucial in that game. You couldn't have any more nonsense turnovers. I mean, they were really lucky to get on that ball that that second time uh, where it happened because uh, it was beginning to get a little Aubrey there with another turnover. Um, so he was huge. It's important to have him out there. And, I mean – at this point, you can probably let him heal a little bit for Vanderbilt. Maybe he just wants to play. He's that kind of guy, and they let him. Uh, but he's clearly going to be back in in some sort of capacity for this season, which is important. Yeah, I he it doesn't seem serious. At least if he was dressing, you know, a week after it happened, he will be back before I think they get to that important two game stretch against Texas A and M and Georgia. That we'll get to in a little bit. Um, Ole Miss lead, entered the game leading the SEC in turnover margin. I don't know where they stand after this one. It hasn't been updated yet. But that's something that I don't think we've mentioned enough this year is the defense has had a pretty good knack for creating 
turnovers and creating turnovers, particularly in plus territory at crucial times in the game. And the offense hasn't turned the football over. And as you, you know, we talked about it last night that you and I did, this team's like a lot of fun to watch. I'm not sure how good they are, but you know, leading the sec and turnover margin is certainly a sure mark of a team. That's pretty good. And certainly one that's equipped to go on the road and win in these type of environments. You know, we talked all week about like, is Ole Miss going to make the early mistakes and weirdly in a way they kind of did with the early pick and whatever, but I, I don't know if we talked about that enough entering the game as as to whether or not they would give Auburn a chance and trip over themselves. And, you know, they've been pretty efficient and pretty clean in that regard this year. Uh, it's incredibly important. It's something that, you know, a lot of people in Vegas look at year over year over year to see kind of like the projections of teams. Because at the end of the day, I mean, they've won some one-score games where if the turnover margin is different, that might not be the case. That's how you win close games is, is winning those turnover battles uh, especially on the road. And in this game, I think it ended up technically 2-2 because they called that uh, that messed up field goal interception. So I mean, yeah, it got Charlie Pollock got deemed with a pick. I think it counts. I mean, it's it oh, it does. a turnover. It definitely does. And uh, they're going to be looking at that at special teams meeting because I was thinking of it when it happened. I mean, he is bobbling that ball for like 30 seconds before Auburn even realizes that he's fumbled it. Uh, you had a chance there to potentially, if the tight ends were listening, to have a fire call and score a touchdown there. The Auburn guys were completely confused on what was going on. Uh, they're going to be looking at that one in the special teams meeting for sure because, they, I mean, they had an opportunity if he just – some guy just goes in the flats uh, as you're supposed to to potentially, as crazy as it sounds, score there or at least, you know, do something, get it closer. Uh, but that was a weird play. Um but, yeah, I mean, the 2021, they were good at taking the ball away. 2022, they weren't. 2023, they are. And that's incredibly important when you're trying to get to where they're going this year. Uh, let's go back to that that play because I, I was definitely going to bring it up later, but let's just do it now. You mentioned the, the fire call, having an opportunity, offer being confused. Are you saying that you would trust the guy, our guy Charlie Pollock to put one on the money out in the flats? Because you mentioned the Auburn defenders looking confused. I think Charlie Pollock was fairly confused as to what to do and what the I hell mean, was going no, on I mean, no, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like obviously it looked really stupid, but he was, he knew what he had to do there. I mean, he caught, like, once he fumbled the ball, he gets up. He knows that his opportunity is to throw the ball because you're supposed to call fire, is what every team uses. Whenever you fumble a snap and you've got two guys, actually, I think it's technically four guys are eligible to be receivers. Usually your two wing guys on the field goal team that just go out into the flat and then your two other tight end guys blocking on the end of the actual line are able to go and kind of like flag routes. I mean, that's what we used to do in high school. It's something we practice all the time. We scored a touchdown in high school on a fumbled snap fire call. And he was prepared for it. He was ready. He was had the ball looking. And I don't know if he yelled anything. It doesn't actually look like he did yell anything. So maybe he was super confused. Um, a lot of the times, the Auburn rusher he just ends up clocking his ass because he's fumbling the ball and, like, confused. But he was ready to throw the ball. And, honestly, it worked out that he did. And they intercepted it closer to the two-yard line. Yeah, it actually uh, helped him a lot. Absolutely helped him a lot. Uh, but that's – I mean, look, I didn't – I don't think they're going to score on that. I don't think that anything was going to happen, but they definitely did not execute that uh, like you're supposed to. We'll get back to Walden in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. 
This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for twenty bucks. It's about a forty dollar evaluation you're getting there for twenty dollars. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription. Tell him you know about the Rippy Wright's newsletter. He'll get you set up, and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the fillet burgers. All kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon. No, no, they did not. Like, it's, fine. it's fine. <laughs> yes. Start going back to the receiver part of it. I know I'd mentioned this a second ago, but we talked about Watkins and the important role he played. I thought they were still fine uh, offensively without him uh you know there were I thought there were some really creative drops in this game uh the touchdown that Sakari Franklin scored on it was kind of like a pseudo rub route where you had pre-scoring lineup in the slot next to him he goes outside and makes the guy cross each other and then instead of settling he like hesitates and then streaks back up the field it was almost like one of those routes you're going to catch around the first down marker over the middle of the field but then it was a double move in that regard and then great, great, great play. It was a great drop. And then as much as I know, it's not always the most visually appeasing to watch the toss or the fake toss out to the side, but they added a new wrinkle to that. Um, I forget who the color guy was in this game, but his credit right after he started talking about new wrinkles in the Kiffin offense, they added one where Dart kept it up the middle and that led to a touchdown. And I thought on yeah. Ole Miss's most crucial plays of the game, particularly early in the game and on those two touchdowns, they had some very creative draw ups and that's, to me, kind of vintage Kiffin at this point, but it never gets old to watch. That's for sure. No, it doesn't. I mean, you got to give Charlie credit too, just because when things go well, you can't take it away. From That's fair. Kid. I always say Kiffin. I, I guess I should just start tagging them together, Kiffin and Weiss, because they both definitely deserve credit. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the first one was basically like a reverse, uh, kind of like a switch stick nod with the receiver coming out, um, which is something you see like tight ends do where they kind of go out and then back up. And I mean, it was perfectly drawn up and perfectly blocked by the offensive line uh, because that's kind of a long developing play. And I mean, he was completely, you know, wide open with absolutely no pressure in his face. You had Wade like looking at the sideline, faking on the left-hand side just to confuse that side of the field. So the safety doesn't come over and is just wondering if they're going to throw it out to him. I mean, it was just a perfect, you know, this is our goal line, third down play we were drawing up. Uh, and then look, I mean, that whole toss deal, the way that they've done this offense, they, you know, every single week they've added on uh, to some sort of version of the counter toss. And that one, it was a jet sweep counter toss quarterback, you know, I guess it was like GT, I guess is what you call it, because the guard and tackle are coming to pull from the other side. Uh, and it was, I mean, blocked and executed like that will be on a teach tape for every single team, you know, for the next year. I mean, that was as perfect as it gets on that fourth down play. 
which really just says a lot about how well the O-line played to be able to get in the position for a lot of these things to work out. Uh, they were great. I mean, look, they stalled a little bit here and there throughout the middle of the game. We talked about it plenty, but when they needed it most, I mean, they had some pretty damn great play calls drawn up. Yeah, they did. And the irony and all that, you talked about adding to the toss piece of it and continuing to add a different wrinkle to it. I think in the Arkansas LSU game, you had the one where the receiver that's supposed to be blocking slips out and it turns into a little quick pass down the sideline. The irony and all that, to start the game's most important drive, uh, they they put it on the turf. It bounces perfectly back up to Judkins or whoever I that was. I forgot about that. Play. That could have been a disastrous moment in the game. The announcers are like laughing or just sitting there saying like, what a fortuitous, fortuitous bounce for Ole Miss. Yeah, that would be the understatement of the century. Can can you imagine the way that game had gone? That team thing takes a weird bounce and all, Auburn all of a sudden has first and goal inside its own 10. That we, we might be having a different discussion today. I'm not putting it on Ole Miss saying they would lose the game based off no. that solely alone. But man, a different bounce or a different angle uh, physics-wise, and that that could have gotten a little weird. No, definitely could have gotten a little weird. So I'm very, very lucky that did not happen. We watched it today, if you're watching NFL, where the Browns are on fourth down, and they did kind of like that fake uh, fullback draw pitch out, and it's a perfect pitch. The running back just drops it, and they lose 14 yards. So it happens. That's There's no guarantee on any of these tosses. So you see it all the time where they screw it up, whether it's the running back or the quarterback tossing it too hard or too far away. I mean, it was pretty lucky there, but at the end of the day, you kind of need some bounces to go your way. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I know we talked about Dart a second ago, but this game felt like the perfect Jackson Dart experience where it's not always good. Um, but he has several plays where you can talk over and over again about him being a gamer or whatever you want to call it. Definitely a great leader, but Time and time again, he's not allowed slow starts or early mistakes to compound and result in just disastrous performances, particularly this year, even when he started slowly, he's still outside of maybe the Alabama game, rebounded to make enough plays when Ole Miss needed it the most. And I thought this one may have been the most clear and definite example of that. And it's just a credit to him for you know, really kind of embodying the resiliency this entire team has shown. I don't think it's an accident that he's a leader on the team and he kind of goes as they go from a resiliency standpoint. But I just, as we go through another game where he may play after play in the second half, after wondering what the hell was going on in the first half, you got to give him credit for staying the course and not getting too freaked out and really just settling in and allowing the game to come to him for the lack of a better phrase. No doubt. Um, he's so much more comfortable in this offense and what they're asking him to do than he was a year ago, uh, which is to be expected. But at the end of the day, you have to do it. Uh, even with the things that he's off on, those are just simply throws. I mean, he's just missing guys here and there, which is, you know, that's part of the game. It's not that he's forcing things or that he's making the wrong reads or anything like that. It's simply just a few inaccurate throws here and there. But he completely understands what he needs to do. I mean, he had some fantastic throws that dig to Dayton Wade, the dig to Trey Harris, the kind of wheel route to Priest Corn. And basically, I mean, he couldn't have placed the ball in his arm better than he did on that play. Uh, taking the checkdowns when they're there and necessary, he just kind of understands exactly what they need him to do, which I think is last year was what Kiffin's biggest frustration and why we had all these quarterbacks come in was that he was not asking that he was not doing what he was being asked to do. He was doing things completely out of rhythm, out of sync, out of the uh, flow of the offense. And he's shown that when he's in it and he's, you know, confident and he's on time, he's can be a really good quarterback. And yeah, he, there he was slow. He made some mistakes, but at the end of the day, he used his feet exactly how he needed to. He made throws when he needed to. And he just never really feels rattled. I mean, there's just 
plenty of evidence throughout this year that in the second half of these games, he's incredibly confident in what he needs to do, and he's done it. It was an important win for Ole Miss from a, I don't know if you want to call it a PR perspective, but Chase was on this earlier in the week. You knew if you survived this game after a bye week and you won, you were going to have two pretty good weeks, and you are going to enter the month of November as a one-loss team with everything to play for, which is really what you pay Kiffin to do and really all you can ask for. And so they survived this game. It didn't really get weird from like a media storyline wise. I did appreciate uh, Hugh Freeze uh, making sure he got his grandkids in there. Um, he apparently thinks he invented Fast Friday. Did you see they kept talking about how he changed his practice schedule where the walkthroughs on Thursday and they did an actual practice on Friday? Uh, that's like a common practice around the country now, but it, it seemingly in his mind he invented it this past week. Did you happen to pick up on this? Yeah, but it made it. They made it sound like he, they ran a full practice. There's like no way, though, right? A legit practice. Uh, I mean, I find that really hard to believe, and pretty sad if that is the case. Um, but th- that's what it made it sound like. I don't know. Maybe I missed that. But when the, she said that at the beginning of the game, I was like, and then it was brought up multiple times in the post game show and whatever. I was like, did they really go like a padded practice on Friday, or did they just kind of actually do a just a quicker walkthrough? I don't know. It's all it's all PR and, and mythology with him. I mean. We'll talk about him. I mean, we know we can talk about it right now. I mean, it Auburn hired like a myth of a head coach. I mean, they did. They, they hired the myth of what people believe Hugh Freeze is. Um, it, it is just so evident. Uh, just looking into this season, the way he looks so down, he looks so defeated. He is not up to speed with what you need on offense in 2023 compared to even 2015. Uh, he was beating other teams with a Liberty team that had a NFL quarterback, whether he's good enough or not. He was sure as hell good enough to win Conference USA games at Liberty. Um, it, it just – I don't know if that's going to work out. I mean, they were – y'all were saying two and a half weeks or two and a half years for him at Auburn. If they don't make a bowl game this year and they go seven and five the next year, I mean, that's how quick this shit happens in this yep. league. I mean, with Oklahoma and Texas coming in, they're going to be looking at being a bottom half team for four or five years in this league. And no, it's just not going to work out for them. I, I don't know, but everything about him is a myth. Literally everything about him is nothing is real. And they are really, really bad. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> they are. And it's, it, it'll be interesting, like how much patience he gets and kind of looking at some of the games next year, like where he really needs to win one early before, you know, the Auburn, the Auburn Mafia kind of does their own thing. Um, but, you know, other than that, not a ton of fanfare. Auburn had like a weird tweet. Uh, the football coach, like oh, the football account put out like, you know, Hugh Freeze and a fan or something. I didn't really understand that one. There's that a weird one. Did you see the Jonathan know. Hess video? I hate doing stuff like this, but now I'm just so amused by it. I just have to bring it up. Did you see this? Yeah, I did with that girl. I, I commented on it. That girl posted uh, the video of Jonathan Hess doing absolutely nothing but walking up down the sidelines, and she's saying that he's cussing out the student section. I mean, maybe he was. I mean, I know Hess, but definitely not beneath him to do that. Uh, but in that particular video, he was doing absolutely nothing, which is just so typical of them to, to put something out like that. Makes no sense. It looked like a reporter at the Auburn student newspaper, but I I don't want to pile on too hard, but I did just find it funny because you're right. He is just walking around the sideline kind of doing like Jonathan Hess things, just being fired up. I guess the only thing missing was the fire extinguisher, but you can't hear anything. And he's 
not even remotely close to like directly staring at the student section, at least not at the angle the video was. But the funny part I just thought of it was I actually played on a rec league softball team with Jonathan Hess this summer. I saw him talk more shit to rec league softball opponents than anything that happened in that video. And it's not even close. So I was like, what am I watching here? Did I miss something? Like did the video skip, but that cracked me up. But Hess is a crazy man. And he, he, uh, he's a good dude. He really is. And he's very energetic. He is, he is a full of a lot of things, a lot of energy. Um, he's a great person to be on a staff to help with recruiting or really, I don't know what the hell he's doing on staff, but he's doing something. And then clearly it's, uh, making some sort of positive effect. He's, he's good. Yeah. He's a good dude. That that was a very silly tweet with absolutely no point or reason to it. Outside of those two minor things, not really a ton to talk about from like a stoking the Coles media perspective. I think one of the questions you and I asked either earlier, I think it was the last Sunday or Monday podcast we did was like, who's more likely to go in, uh, you know, tooting their horn as the winning coach or whatever. Like, does anyone fan the flames after that? And there really was none of that. It was business as usual. And you kind of got the sense of that going into the week that Ole Miss felt. And it's not just the fact that Kiffin didn't prod freeze in his Monday press conference when really given a direct opportunity. It was just the general mood of the week. Ole Miss seemingly was seemed very focused the entire week. They knew what was at stake. They knew kind of how they were going to be set up for the rest of the season. If they could survive this road test with an extra week of rest, there just wasn't a whole lot of extracurricular fanfare. The game didn't even really get that chippy. Ole Miss just no. felt very business as usual. And it's it, it, it's clearly an approach that works for them because again, to kind of tie all of this back together, in the biggest moments or when something goes wrong, they don't really flinch. And they just seem to keep the exact same demeanor throughout the entire game, never really getting too high or too low, never really any sideline shots, anyone looking dejected. It just seemed very businesslike really from Monday till the final whistle Saturday night. It was good to see. And I think Kiffin, you know, really needed to have kind of a week like this to going into a place. It's really hard to play. He knew that we talked about it earlier that I'm sure he told his team that for the entire week. And it, clearly it was important for them because they were not really phased at all by the atmosphere. I mean, sure, they didn't play a good first half, but that was really more on them, not by Auburn taking advantage of anything or the crowd getting to them. It was just very, very businesslike, like you said. And I mean, last night he got on his phone and started tweeting some stuff, which was to be expected. But even then it wasn't outrageous. Uh, by any means it, it was important and you know chase or whatever you mentioned that pr win and yeah i mean that is the case because you're in the part of the season now where every win keeps you in the conversation longer the way that college football media works is they start diluting their coverage dramatically towards the end of the season towards anyone that has any sort of chance of making the playoff or anything and right now you're currently in that situation. You know, I think it's a long shot, but you're in the conversation of the top 10 to 12 teams. You're going to beat Vanderbilt. It's going to give you an extra week to be in the conversation of the 10 and 12 teams. You've got A&M at home, which I think is a really good matchup for Ole Miss. If you win that one, you're setting yourself up for the game that I've talked about for two weeks, a free shot at Georgia on the road to really change the conversation for Ole Miss, but you're just in it right now. And that's just exactly where you want to be at this point in the season. This was an absolute trap root canal, you know, get in and get out game as much as there ever will be one for this program uh, at Auburn on the road. And they just did exactly what they needed to do to keep themselves just really in the talk in the college football ethos and what the media does. It's, it's pretty diluted at this point and you're absolutely a part of it. Yeah, and that's that's a fascinating point going forward because 
with this team and what we talked about going in the year, we talked about this kind of the seven and a half being the over under, can they get to eight wins? Can they get to nine wins? I think before the season, we were both be pretty, we both would felt like we would be pretty shocked if they got to 10 and now it would be, I don't want to call the season a mild disappointment, but from like week seven on or whatever week, this is a college football. If they didn't get to that 10 and two, it would feel like a little bit of a mild disappointment because that would clearly mean you lost to Georgia. No shame in that, but you couldn't get that A&M game at home. I think they're going to beat Vanderbilt. Clearly they're going to beat ULM and Mississippi state. Um, so now it like, weirdly enough, it feels like the the nine and three would be a mild disappointment. And Definitely. that wouldn't make the year a mild disappointment by any stretch, you know, going into the expanded playoff and what you thought this team was, but it's crazy how things can shift and they've done their job. I know they had a really bad Saturday afternoon in Tuscaloosa that, ultimately and unfortunately looks like it's going to cost them any real divisional hopes even before you yeah get- there's almost i've been looking at that there's like no chance of that i mean it is borderline impossible um for them you'd have to have lsu find a way to win and then alabama would just have to absolutely you know what down their leg at auburn or at kentucky and it's just not even one of those sound likely to you <laughs> no it does not i mean they had the opportunities against a&m and tennessee to lose and and give yourself some hope but that just seems not in the cards this year. It seems like it's going to be Alabama or LSU in the West. Yep. Or I guess, well, it just just seems like Alabama to me, right? Because Ole Miss would have the tiebreaker over LSU, would they not? My understanding, I could be wrong on this. So if LSU beats Alabama and wins out, I do believe it's LSU that goes. Oh, I didn't even think about the the three-way with one loss if Ole Miss won out too. Yeah. I'm not even going to pretend like I know what that is. So there's like a weird deal. So Ole Miss, if Ole Miss wins out and goes 11 and one and LSU beats Alabama, so then you'd have that three-way tie. And then eventually it comes down to like the record of your East opponents and having Vanderbilt as a part of your East opponents is going to kill you because they're going to win exactly, you know, zero SEC games. Um, even though Georgia will probably, you know, it's going to be funny. It's you beating Georgia, if that case comes to be, might be the thing that costs you if you end up going 11-1. and one. Uh, There was some, some scenarios thrown out. I was reading some stuff earlier. It just It's going to be really, really difficult to win the West. But that doesn't mean you're done from a playoff standpoint. Um, it's going to make things incredibly difficult. But it's a conversation you could still have. Yeah, and I got sidetracked just kind of looking at that and thinking out loud. But the the overall point was just the fact that I didn't necessarily think this team would be a one-loss team entering the month of November and still having, at least on paper, everything to play for. And I think they deserve immense credit for that. And there really hasn't been any surprises in terms of who they played and what we thought they were going to be versus what they actually were. If there's anything, if you just want to go down the schedule, Tulane actually ended up being a lot better than we thought they were going to be. Um, Georgia Tech, about the same. Maybe you could make the case a little scrappier. I, again, they have a loss to Bowling Green in there, but a win over Miami in the craziest of fashions. LSU, pretty much exactly what you thought they were going to be. Alabama, what pretty much exactly what you thought they were going to be. Arkansas may be a little worse, but point being, they've gone through the schedule exactly – as we looked at it in the preseason with most of the opponents shaking out the same way and they've gotten through it at six and one or seven and one, whatever it is they are. I, I keep losing track of it, but um, they deserve credit for that. And, you know, talk about the salary and Kiffin and $9 million and is he owed it and did he earn it? Like, this is what you pay him for. You, you pay him to get to the month of November with all of your goals still intact and then see how you fare from there. And they, they, you can't emphasize it enough. I, I think they deserve a ton of credit for sitting at this point, 
entering a Vanderbilt game and then, of course, the season's final month. Absolutely. They absolutely deserve a ton of credit. Um, they've been good in the portal this year, which is going to be important for them uh, just building this roster throughout. I, I've kind of mentioned how it, it almost feels like they were kind of like drug addicts with the portal. And it was just like more and more and more. And they're starting to wean themselves off of their addiction to the portal. But you still have to hit on those guys. You have to supplement your roster. And I think defensively, especially, they brought in some guys that have been absolute impact players for them this year. Whereas last year, I think they kind of missed kind of all around the place um, with the exception of like Zach Evans. Um, but that's it's crucial. They deserve a ton of credit for the roster they've built for the defense, what they've become offensively, getting Dart more comfortable, the way they've called things, getting Bentley involved. Uh, Priest Corn had a really good game. We didn't talk about him a whole lot, but just having a guy like him um, kind of changes the way this offense can run the ball, throw the ball. They're more dynamic all the way around. They're just good. I don't know if they're great. Um, I don't think it really matters if you're great or not. If you just beat the teams you're supposed to beat, like you said, you put yourself in the conversation that they're currently in, and you just see how the chips fall. And at the end of the day, we didn't think this team was going to be in this kind of conversation this year. Everything was pointing toward next year. Um, and honestly, looking at that and looking at their schedule next year, I, it kind of feels a little silly that we were doing that. Um, I think their schedule next year might be harder than the schedule this year. Um so I think they're taking advantage of a semi-down SEC. I don't really subscribe to that as much as most do. I think it's just different teams are good in the SEC this year, right? I mean, I, I saw someone bring that up, and I was like, you know what? That's absolutely true. The difference between this SEC is that Ole Miss is the third-best team instead of Florida's being the third-best team or Auburn or somebody. It's just the different teams. Uh, the bottom's pretty shit. But the top, I mean, Alabama – LSU, Ole Miss, Georgia, I'd take those four over any other conference. Uh, that's including the Pac-12 after seeing what USC's turned into. Um, you know, it's it's just been really impressive by them, and they're very much in it. They've got to capitalize in recruiting. Um, that's been, you know, kind of not stagnant, but it's been a little dif different these past few months. But that's in season that happens. But looking forward, I mean, they're in a, the best position that Ole Miss has been in maybe ever from a football standpoint, and they have to keep it going. We'll finish up with Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take one more quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. A crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back into your dinnertime recipe rut. Keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every week, so there's always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. With many in-season ingredients, you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every bite of HelloFresh's chef-crafted recipes. Produce travels from farm to your door for peak ripeness you can taste. I love HelloFresh. It makes the nighttime a lot easier, particularly when you're into a busy schedule. You can just pop something open quick from HelloFresh. makes it very easy to put together a nutritious, delicious meal without the hassle of having to try to figure out what you want to make and what you want to cook on a given night. Check them out today. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50MPW. That is HelloFresh.com slash 50MPW for 50% off plus free shipping. Check them out today.
This podcast is brought to you by Caldera. Fall is here, gentlemen, and it's about to get busy during the holidays. Don't let that stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in the skincare game, and with an easy routine, keep your face looking pretty no matter the schedule. Plus, what's better than a gift of clear skin? Join the over 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impression this fall. Plus, it's a great gift. Let's agree on one thing. You're going to brush your teeth today. Incorporating skincare steps before it guarantees to not mess up your routine, leaving your breath fresh and your face refreshed. Caldera Lab creates high-performance skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup. A twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal. You're not beating this offer. Get 20% off right now by using code MPW at calderalab.com for 20% off right now. Check them out today. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. And to to wrap that up, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm done with the whole like this schedule is hard or this one isn't because every time we get into the season, it's like well this didn't turn out the way I thought it would at all. But the on that note, we talk about the outside shot at running the table and winning against A&M to give yourself a free shot at Georgia and all these different things, and it's still worthy of being talked about because it's still something that it can happen and is still on the table. The likelihood of it is up for debate. But even if you get through it at 10 and two or something like that with the loss to Georgia, when you talk about heading into a year where it felt like an all or nothing year for Ole Miss and Kiffin in 2024 with an expanded playoff and the whole you know storyline of they pay you to get to the playoff and all that. If you finish strong in recruiting and you go into 2024 off a 10 and two campaign and maybe throw a bowl win in there and actually get that 11 win mark column down for the first time in a while. That's a hell of a lot different first than thing to eight and four and seven and five uh, and heading into next year that way. I mean, I know program momentum is kind of silly to talk about because it's not a tangible thing and so many things can change with the portal, but right. having a 10 win year and coming off of that into the expanded playoff um, year or whatever you want to call it is, is significant in my eyes. Definitely. And then it looks like just the way this coaching care and that all it always changes. But just looking at the coaching carousel, I don't think you're going to be getting a lot of Kiffin drama going into the end of this season, into the recruiting season, into the portal season. Uh, I think there will be some continuity. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're able to keep Pete for a few, uh, at least another year. Charlie, I don't think he's going anywhere. You might, you know, there's always staff changes for different reasons, but with the exception of, you know, if A&M makes a move, I think you're just going to be fine. I honestly don't even think that he's going to be their first choice there for a multitude of reasons. So, you no, know, the program momentum is kind of a facade. It's it's not exactly true in the way that things change and overturn. Uh, it's hard to, like, 
keep that going necessarily with the exception of just signing an incredible recruiting class. Uh, but it's not nothing either. You know, you're starting yourself off with in the front foot going into next year, but they still got a lot to accomplish this year. And uh, it starts beating Vanderbilt and then playing A&M at home. And then, like I said, always just giving yourself that shot against Georgia. Should we start going at vibes instead of momentum? It's not even like a momentum in terms of the program passing the other one. It's maybe just the excitement within the building and being excited to come to Ole Miss and come to work every day. That, that no, That's more of actually what I'm talking about than any sort oh, of yeah. intangible like arms race in the SEC or the landscape of college football. Can it be program definitely. vibes? I don't think that's going to stick, but you get the point. No, definitely, definitely, definitely. And then you've got an opportunity with a really good Mississippi class in 2025 and 26 to see where you're at, see where the other uh, program in your state's at, and absolutely stomp on their throat. Something that Ole Miss has never, at least since I've been a fan, uh, which is since, what, 2014 when I started going there, they have never done that. They've had the opportunities. It's They've had the two wins in a row and then the collapse, and then the two wins in a row and the inexplicable loss to them. And then the, the programs are going this way and that way. Well, currently you're on a, you know, two cars going in a different direction at night with the other program. And if you're able to win 10 games, win 11 games, have them win four or five games, and then just absolutely dominate them off the field and everything that you can do, that's how you really can ascend to a different level in this league and in this sport, because you're currently, you know, you're hand hog tied, hand tied, having another program in your state, taking away good players from you. If you're able to just dominate them in all regards, you're able to completely change the ceiling of what you can do, because there's a lot of really good players in this state and around and beating them down while being up is incredibly important in my opinion. I agree. It's been a long time since there's been any real long-term separation. And while things rapidly change as we keep prefacing all of this with, but it does feel like there's a real opportunity there that you just outlined very well. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you watched that Ole Miss or that Arkansas state game on Saturday. I know they won the whole thing. Oh, I did. So did I every single day. <laughs> we'll get to it probably first here in just a second, but the point being, there just feels like a real tangible opportunity there. And that's something that matters too. being, you know, a state like Mississippi with two programs in the state, Last thing on the Ole Miss side of it, we talk about the team's resiliency and then playing well in fourth quarters. I guess I had a fourth quarter stat to read for you. I believe if my math is correct, Ole Miss has now outscored opponents 89 to 44 in the fourth quarter. Um, last year, they were actually outscored as a team 79 to 65 in the fourth quarter. Wow. Um, that's not nothing. That is that is probably encapsulates everything we spent 25 minutes trying to describe about the team's resiliency. But that's that's a mature, tough team that's cohesive for sure. So I texted you last night. I'm not sure how good this team is, but they're very fun and they're very chaotic. <laughs> I, maybe the better way to describe it is like you said, they're good. I don't know how like really good or great. Like I don't know where they fall in that. But maybe the best way at temperature test, if you had to to, to wager on it today, do they beat A&M in Oxford? Oh, I think they do. I, I think, think so too. Yes. I think it's a great matchup for them. Um, if the other quarterback was playing, I'd be much more concerned. I think Max Johnson is the perfect quarterback for this Ole Miss defense. A guy who just holds onto the ball too long uh, in front of an okay offensive line. I think they're going to wreak havoc on him. And then they just got to be able to score. I mean, we talked about this game when he needed to score 28 points. They scored 28 points and won. Against AM, I think it's going to be a very similar formula. I think if you can score 28 points on AM, you'll win that football game. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty simple. 
I think it's very much the same, maybe a little bit more of a competent offense. So good win for Ole Miss, a exhale or sigh of relief from the fan base for sure. Uh, what did Chase call it, the root canal game? It, it certainly yeah. felt like that. I watched it with the, one of my close friends. That I, I don't know if I've watched an Ole Miss, Ole Miss game within a long time. And he kept looking at me being like, how you think they're going to win? You think they're going to win? Like, how are they doing? I was like, I think they're fine if they settle down. But, like, I feel like that was probably a conversation had on a lot of couches and TVs across the country. It's like, how weird is this going to get? But, well, hey, my wife, it came yeah. out on top. <laughs> Elizabeth got the full experience. We, we went to a uh, this new Ole Miss bar in Houston, which is actually called Austin's. Um, and we were there with some LSU people and then a bunch of Ole Miss people actually in Houston. We're watching it. And then at halftime, she's like, can we go eat, please? And, like, we can go find somewhere in front of a TV. Sure. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, I've seen this story before. She said, why are you so negative? Like, you know, y'all are going to win. I'm like, I'm only negative because we have stakes. <laughs> There's stakes in this game. If there, if we were three and three playing Auburn the road, I wouldn't give a shit. But we actually have something to play for, which just brings in all the anxiety. And, you know, we eventually went to El Tiempo and somehow got a table at eight o'clock and just sat by the bar and watched the whole game. They scored that second touchdown. It's like, all right, we can go home now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to watch anymore. We're, we're good here. Um, so no, I, she got the full experience of watching an Ole Miss game, which she gets pretty often. Let's take a look around the, uh, the old Southeastern conference. It was, a not an overly exciting day, but a couple of weird games early. I guess we'll start with the 11 AM slate. I watched every bit of this, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi state game. Holy cow. I, I, that was one of the worst football games I've ever watched. It was one of the worst coaching displays I've watched in a long time. And no. we knew what the scheme was and how bad it was for Dan Enos in Arkansas, but it was underscored in this game to a, a totally different degree. And then like for the state side of it, it was more decision-making and game management and clock management and whatever other sort of in-game management that's not necessarily related to play calling, just baffling to me. Um, I haven't really taken a, a look at state message boards, but if you were like, if this was Ole Miss and you're in state shoes and you win a game like this seven to three, are you happy? Does this, is this a celebratory thing? I don't know how you would feel after a game like this. If you were six and one, you'd be happy, but that's not what they are at yeah. all. Uh, <laughs> they are not that. So I would be pretty, I mean, I don't even know what I would feel like. I hope I would never have to feel something like that. Um, my this thought was would be, did we just hinder ourselves from having from being able to can Zach Arnett? That would be my first thought after a game like that. Uh, you're, you're probably not wrong. Everyone, I'm sure there's some sunshine pumpers who are like, you know, we want a road SEC game. That's a really tough place to play. Well, actually, it's not. The team has lost four straight games or five straight games. Uh, they're coming home to an 11 a.m. crowd that was, like, fine. Uh, and they completely were not up for it, which is, you know, credit to me, uh, is why I put – a uh, decent amount of money on Mich Mississippi State plus six and a half. Um, no, I didn't think it was going to go that way. Uh, but Arkansas, th that coaching staff has has completely quit on those players. I actually don't think it's the other way around, which is why they fired Danny Enos this morning. Uh, he totally mailed in an SEC game with a quarterback who's a really good player, um, and he deserved to be fired, and he should be fired for cause. They, they should not pay him a fucking cent even though they're about to pay him a $3 million buyout for what he's provided this year. Um, it's just embarrassing. I mean, that, there's no excuse for them uh, to lose that game like that uh, with a really good player. Uh, those two teams are both really bad. That is no doubt about it. But the way that that went about, the way that Sam Pittman coached that game with that whole – I mean, you're going to kick the field goal, then you get to delay a game, and then you go out to punt – after that, when it's fourth and seven, it was just terrible, 
in every single facet. Um, Zach Arnett, I had a big debate with Siski about this, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. Seven to three, Mississippi State has the ball. I think there's like a minute and 12 left. Uh, Arkansas has no timeouts. Fourth and one, Mississippi State, instead of going for it on the Arkansas 10-yard line, decides to kick a field goal to bring a one-possession game to a one-possession game. Kick the field goal, they miss it. I, I, that's a fireable offense to me. I mean, I, you get one yard and the game is over. And by the way, the way it worked out is you were in the same exact situation no matter what. You miss the one yard, they get the ball right there with no timeouts. Kick the field goal, you miss it, they get the ball right there with no timeouts. Uh, I, I thought that was absolutely terrible. I, I get both sides of it, but just the way these both these teams are coached, they're, they're two guys who just aren't going to be in those jobs for much longer. I can see both sides of that one. I don't know what I would have done. It, the broadcast, and I haven't gone to look up the kids' stats, but the broadcast made it sound like that kicker was actually sure-handed and just finally shoved one. But, hey, trusting college kickers, I get it. Um, I get both sides of that one. That's not even remotely close. If I'm ranking the four decisions as far as, like, what to do on fourth down, that's the fourth out of four because you had him twice in this game in plus territory in fourth and short not try to get the first down and continue a drive. And not only that, take a delay of game and then punt it. And then you're up seven to three. Arkansas hasn't done anything offensively the entire game. You have a fourth and one or a fourth and two in your own territory. And that's when they decide to go for it. The one time it's like, all right, punt, pin them back and continue to play great defense. He decides to go for it. They have a botched snap. That oh, yeah. kicked and kicked and kicked to where Arkansas scoops and scores it for a touchdown. And the only thing that saved Mississippi State from losing the game was that they jumped at a false start. The play never counted because they never came set or they had, I can't remember, it was a legal motion or false start. That was the one where I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, I, I didn't understand any of the way he called that game from a fourth and third down decision making standpoint. Um, for the entirety of the day, and particularly not that one. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now you want to go for it when you're not supposed to. That felt like Ed Orgeron 20, uh, 2007 Egg Bowl-esque. It's like just, oh, in over your head, like the whole snakes in your head thing. What are, what are you doing? That was really bad. And then real quick to circle back, you actually broke some news because I guess I haven't been on my phone for the last few hours. I didn't know Dan Enos had been fired. I knew they had a bye week going into this week. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, they he shouldn't get a red cent. That that's very unfortunate. What he's done to KJ Jefferson and that team and that offense is a crying shame. But I had no idea he'd been fired. So it makes sense. I guess I'm not stunned by it. But wow. No, I mean he should be fired. And Pittman, this is probably the end for him. And I think it's really unfortunate because I don't. He's a terrible game manager coach, which eventually bites you in the ass, and that'll be it. Um, he just made the wrong hire though, because I don't think this team is that bad. And that's impossible. It's hard to say after watching them score three points at home. I kind of believe it too, though. I I'm with you. But he effed up one hire, and that's going to end up costing him his job. At the end of the day, you're the manager of the program, and all of that. That's that's what happens. But I, I think it it sucks. You know, they had Bryles leave for TCU, and the TCUOC went to Clemson and the Arkansas hired Dan Enos and all three of those programs are in shambles right now. So clearly it's just a merry-go-round of circus and bad coaches. Um, but it, it sucks. I like Sam Pittman, but he's a terrible game manager coach and made a terrible OC hire. Um, and he's going to get, you know, he's going to get fired for it. 
Yep. And that's just the way it goes, particularly when you don't have really the kind of clout and people don't think you're necessarily qualified for the job no. you have. You can't really miss on a coordinator hire. And boy, did he miss this. We talked about two weeks ago after the Arkansas game. Danny knows is just one of those dudes. I get he was like a mildly successful head coach, but he's just in the, the mix and it had a lot of jobs. Like I, again, in like the firing story, the hiring story, if you can't really find any actual stats that it's like, oh, man, this guy's awesome. Uh, maybe it's because he's not that awesome. So not that shocking. Mississippi State-wise, we already covered the decision-making on that, but really not much better in that game, and I don't know what to make of it. I think that maybe gets them to 5-7 and seven now, which at the end of the day, it's like, okay, it wasn't that disastrous, but, man, that's a tough, tough look. Auburn's uh, a minus – I think they're like a five- or six-point favorite at home against Mississippi State next week. Oh, I couldn't touch that with the 10-foot pole. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even know what to make of that. I don't like, – talk about a terrible – could you, I guess, could you wager like a zero zero tie? I guess that wouldn't work. Could you, could you wager a two zero winner in the double overtime because one team gets the two point conversion, the other team doesn't? You can just take the under. You can just do we do get that. a three two rematch? Oh, forgot about the three two rematch. That was actually, I think they said that was the second lowest scoring SEC game since the three two rematch. But three two is the only game I've attended as a fan inside Davis Wade Stadium. I had a buddy that wanted to take me to a stadium, no and I showed I up. And it been. was three two, <laughs> and I've never actually sat in the stands at that stadium uh, since. Uh, Florida, or excuse me, South Carolina, Missouri. This game played out exactly like I thought it did. Missouri had a little bit stronger performance defensively than I thought. I was surprised in Neil's picks that this line was not higher than it was. And Mizzou just destroyed a very bad uh, South Carolina defense, and they're good. They're legitimate. They're seven and one, and they're a top they're twenty good. team. That's probably a little bit underrated. They're good. South Carolina is not. Uh, South Carolina is really, really bad. Uh, the roster is terrible, with the exception of Rattler. And then when you get a Rattler game like he did against Missouri, that's what's going to happen to you. Uh, I thought they were going to come out with like some fire, you know, some momentum, or not even momentum, just some sort of like you got your ass kicked at home. Uh, or not asking they a tough loss at home, I guess you could say, going on the road and like you know, trying to muster up some sort of confidence, some sort of swag. I don't even know what the word was going to be. I took them plus seven and a half. Uh, I thought it was going to be a shootout with two teams, but Missouri just beat their ass. I mean, defensively, those are the best game Missouri's played all year. Offensively, they weren't perfect, but they just got the ball to Luther Burden a lot, and that usually good things happen when you get the ball to that kid. Um, I don't think Beamer is like in trouble necessarily. Uh, it's a little early for that for just a season that's kind of gone off the rails, but they've got a lot of looking in the mirror to do. Um, he's got he himself really has a lot of looking in the mirror to do with the way he's kind of handled these past few weeks. Um, uh, but really, I think the story here is Missouri and Drinkwitz and what they've become because they're legitimately good. They're about to have a five-star defensive lineman and uh, two five-star wide receivers coming in next year, which is a lot for Missouri, uh, even though they've done well in state. Um, they are kind of got things rolling over there. It's really impressive. The quarterback's a good player. Offensively, they just do a lot of really good stuff. We talked about how I want to know who their OC was last week, and again, they're really good, so credit to them. Um, they've got a matchup with Georgia coming up, I'm sure, got to be in the next two weeks or something like that. Um, that'll be a pretty interesting game to see. Um, they're good. They're very, very good. What do you do if you're all missing that scenario? I know we kind of sort of glanced over the whole like one loss playoff thing, but I feel like the scenario with chaos outside the SEC around it would be for Ole Miss to win out, Georgia get to the East Championship game as a one loss team, and then Georgia beat Alabama or just figure out which way. Like, well, what would that scenario if you're rooting Ole Miss rooting interest playoff wise? You would want Georgia to win until you get to the game and 
beat them and then went out? What is what is the mental gymnastics there? I, I think there's two ways to go about it. The first way would be you just have you beat Georgia and then have Georgia beat whoever. Um, and then it's a you try to get two SEC teams in the Ole Miss being 11 and one and Georgia being what would that be 12 and one? I yeah, guess 12 and one. The other, you know, chaos route would be you have Georgia lose to Florida or Missouri and then you beat Georgia, have them have two losses, have LSU and Alabama, you know, LSU beats Alabama and then LSU loses to Florida. And you have all those teams all end up with like two losses or three losses. And then you have Ole Miss at 11 and one kind of just sitting there, not even have to play SEC championship game and possibly still be the one team that goes right. That, that would be, I think their best path forward is just everyone else loses, but Ole Miss. And I don't care who it is and how many times they do it. They're not going to let, a Georgia team that law, let's say has two losses, even though they win the SEC, if they lose to Ole Miss and still like it doesn't matter. So a lot of it's very far fetched, but I think the second route would probably be their best bet. That makes sense. It's a kind of a fun thought exercise, as far fetched and far down the road as it may seem right now. Tennessee, Alabama. Boy, did this game I thought it was going to get weird and then it didn't. Tennessee goes up 20 to 7 at halftime they're moving the ball everything's going well and then Alabama just said oh that was cute but uh you're not going to be doing that anymore and just absolutely steamrolled them in the second half i was talking with a buddy yesterday about kind of just like is this Alabama team that good it's like no but they're just methodic and they seem to just wear teams down it's like a sort of a classic Alabama team but the running backs aren't like future just NFL freaks off the top of your head I don't know what to make of this Alabama team, but I got to say that might have been their most impressive performance of the season, given how the game started. Definitely. Uh, I mean, Tennessee was up 20 to seven at half. It could have been 28 to seven. I mean, they had two, three possessions inside the, the goal line or whatever. They only got a two field goals and a touchdown. It could have been much, much worse. And then Alabama goes out and outscores them 27 to zero in the second half. Um, I don't know if Hypo was passing out cigars at halftime. I, I don't know what was going on. Uh, it was a complete bludgeoning in the second half. Uh, Tennessee looked just completely lost. It looked like they thought they had won the game. Alabama just took their mistakes and uh, just went with it. I mean, completely dominated them uh, throughout. It was really impressive. Uh, like you said, they don't, they're they not NFL backs, but McClelland and Miller and Royal Williams, they're all just good. Uh, they're just very, very good. And they let Milro chunk it around. He's kind of cut down like really crucial mistakes. Um, and they just kind of methodical and they just bear teams down towards the end of games like they did against AM and Old Miss and Tennessee. And they're just good. They're they are simply a good football team with a really good defense. They their offense did not help them early in that game, but defensively they completely shut them down after that. Yeah, they did. And it was, uh, there was also, you had a nice little Tennessee media meltdown about the one sided officiating. Uh, again, I don't think it's some grand conspiracy. I don't think Tennessee's, uh, really viewed as in terms of the, uh, that light as have nots. It just happens in that stadium. It happens on both sides. Uh, Kiffin even commented on it. He's like, I've been an orange in the same press conference after that happening in that stadium. It's one of those things that happens, but I don't yeah. think as the Tennessee media loves Not the reason they lost by any means. There were some shit calls in that game, some really bad ones. But you had Tennessee had opportunities to like really stomp on Alabama early and they didn't. And they came out so flat that the rest, it didn't matter. 
Yeah, exactly. That was the exact way I felt about it. Apparently, there was some pretty good Wes Rucker content. I don't really know. I no, took I'm a break sure. from him when he was just shocked that uh, Tennessee had to go on the road to play a super regional game as a two seed. That's when I kind of checked out of that content. May dive back in, but probably not anytime soon. Really light week around the SEC, other than LSU obliterating the troops. That's uh, that's really all there was. Um, Pretty good game between Duke and Florida State for a while. Florida State pulls away late. Penn State, Ohio State was a very boring game, but it looked like two pretty damn good defenses. Do you think either one of those teams are the two of the top four teams in the country or one of the top four teams in the country? Uh, I think Florida State's really good. Um, Duke is a really good football team, and it's super, super, super unfortunate, this whole Riley Leonard deal where he's just had this ankle issue that has kind of just blown up their season Um, because defensively they're just damn good but it kind of they just got worn down by a a very good Florida State team Penn State Ohio State I just don't see either of those teams beating Michigan Uh, two really good defenses Uh, Abdul Carter number 11 for Penn State is like a legit terminator he is unbelievable and then Tua Malilolo I can't pronounce his name for Ohio State has wrecked Penn State's hopes like three years in a row now uh, but those two quarterbacks are not getting those teams anywhere. Um, I still think you Ohio State, for the teams that they've beaten, Notre Dame and Penn State deserve to be in the top four, top three right now. I just don't think – I don't see them going anywhere. I don't care how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is, which he is exceptional. Uh, unless they put him at quarterback and just start running wildcat like Pat White, uh, ain't nothing going on with them. They're offensively, they're just not good enough. Uh, Florida State offensively is good enough. I felt the same way. Both quarterbacks in that Penn State, Ohio State game, I was just not impressed with. So a lot of chaos to come. It'll be a fun final six, seven weeks, the college football season. Let's now get to the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. I believe we had EPL football back over the weekend. I think I saw we this. did. We okay. did have it back. Finally. <laughs> So as I pull up the old uh, table here, it looks like Man City back at the top, tied with Arsenal, Liverpool, and Tottenham a point behind. Again, Liverpool, we talk about it being Man City's league and everyone else, but you got five teams within two points. I know it's still, excuse me, yeah, five teams within two points. Uh, It feels like a little bit of a logjam at the top. I know it probably won't end up that way, but it's kind of fun for the early part of the season. Definitely has been interesting for the early part. You know, City lost two games straight up. They haven't drawn a game yet. So then losing those two games and not getting results is kind of keeping them uh, down with the rest of the crew. Uh, Arsenal had a really good 2-2 draw with Chelsea. Chelsea goes up two goals early, and Arsenal fights back with an incredible goal by Declan Rice in the second half to kind of really screw over Chelsea's hope of kind of like making a run back in this thing. Uh, but it's really close. Liverpool's kind of just beating the teams they're supposed to beat. So they've only got one loss on the season. Uh, they've been just really steady. They've stayed healthy, and they've got a pretty dominant attacking side with an okay midfield. Uh, but, it, you know, it's very, very competitive. And I think Tottenham might play tomorrow. I don't remember them uh, playing. Let me see this. They're yeah. at eight matches, and uh, everyone else is at nine. Yeah, Tottenham plays tomorrow because I don't remember anything about them this weekend. So, uh, no, it's pretty competitive at the top. I mean, the top ten – let's call it the top eight with, with United. I mean, they're all separated by six points. So, I mean, it's kind of fair game for now at least. Uh, Chelsea, unfortunately, out of the relegation zone or anywhere close to it. I guess they yeah. surged up to 12th, but it seems like just more incompetence at the bottom. It was a fun thought while it lasted, but uh, they've – uh, I guess congrats to them. Excuse me, all the way up to 10th. Never mind, just 
freight train from hell coming straight back up to the top. Yeah, I mean, when when you're down that far, especially like this from 10 down, getting three points is massive. And they won two straight games before the international break, which got them back up into that kind of middle tier of the table. Uh, And then they get another point uh, at home against Arsenal. So that, I mean, that'll get you a lot of points or not a lot of points, a lot of uh, jumpings of the standings. I can't even speak right now. (laughs) It'll help a lot. How about that? Uh, They're still not great. They're kind of rounding into form though. They they played better as of late, uh, but I don't, they're not going to be a factor in this thing. Saudi Castle lurking at five points back after a tough start to the season. Uh, do I have any hope of them really getting in the mix for this thing? There, I mean, there should be hope. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but one of their best midfielders they bought from AC Milan has been suspended for the year for gambling. Oh, um, on soccer matches? Oh, on soccer matches. He and another teammate, an Italian teammate, have been suspended. Uh, I don't know how long Tonali is out. It was kind of a thing that happened this past week. Uh, very weird deal. It's worth probably like 40 or not 40, like 10 minutes of your time to get read about it. Something about some gambling app that was passed around the Italian national team and some guys got caught with it. Uh, so they got some controversy there. Um, they're, yeah, they're surging back up. They had an incredible win. I'm sure you did not see this, but they played PSG at home in the Champions League before the international break and beat them like 4-0 and like just an insane atmosphere to beat them like that. It was really, really cool. They, they're playing much better than they were to begin the season. Still no manager sackings. This is that usually happens that I was told I read yeah. an article that usually happens like the second week of October and we still have no sackings. What is that just a product of the teams that are really bad at the bottom of the league kind of being where they're supposed to be and not a, not a ton being out of place other than Manchester City and United? Not yeah, I mean, me, Chelsea and Man United. Right, right. Uh, Burnley has their guy they really like, Vincent Company, who's like a legend for Man City. I, there's no reason to sack him. I think that would be pointless. Uh, I would be lying if I knew the understandings of what's going on at Bournemouth and Sheffield. I would imagine between one of those, you'll get one. Uh, Sheffield probably being the one after giving up uh, a one-goal lead to Man United over the weekend. They're probably going to figure that one out. Uh, but everyone else is kind of just staying packed. I think some teams are a little bit better than they thought. Some teams are a little bit worse than they thought, but nobody's like just, especially of the usual suspects, just so much worse. They're going to fire the manager at this point. That makes some sense, but I'll certainly be looking forward to the first one. He is Walden Rodenberg. I appreciate the time as always, dude. We'll talk about Ole Miss's win over Vanderbilt next week and just where everything shapes up, but uh, we'll hard you next Sunday. I'll see you then. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Got a couple of great guests lined up for this week, so looking forward to it as we transition into Vanderbilt. Thanks for listening to this podcast, as always, and I hope you have a great start to your week. We'll talk to you here soon.